Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Travel Simpson about how he helps business owners have the opportunity to let their businesses shine and thrive. With only the funds from his tax return in 2016, Travel started the, the Drive Group and has since grown it into a multi-million dollar company. His history of working in startup environments across varying industries helped him to develop the skill of identifying smart risks and knowing when to step back and when to push forward. After several years working for large organizations such as Davis & Henderson, the Royal Bank of Canada, Glenworth, Manulife, and as the Chief Operating Officer for Shell Service Capital, Travel was inspired to start a company that focused on trends and analysis to help businesses achieve consistent cash flow. The Drive Group has grown from a consultancy company to a venture capital and real estate development organization that prides itself on partnering with innovative people and companies. Beyond his business success, Travel is an acclaimed artist and speaker. His ability to combine his knowledge of entrepreneurship, the political and economic landscape, and social trends make him an ideal guest or speaker. Welcome, Travel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That, wow. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Well, by that intro, we sure have a lot of stuff to cover by the sounds of it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, a, it's, it's, it's been very much a... Uh, a wide range, but I'm I'm so thankful for such a wide berth of experience and and opportunity because I think the greatest takeaway from that is that many people were willing to take a chance on me, and I just tried to honor those those you know those those gifts as they say. And you take the best out of all of your situations, right? And then you put it all together. Yeah, I think in life you either win or learn. Neither of those things are bad if you have the perspective to see which one happened, right? So you've either gained success or you've gained a lesson. Uh, in either instance, that's something you could bring into the future. Mm, so true. So what made you decide to go out on your own? No, that was such a, man, that was such a challenging, a challenging decision. Before joining Shell Service Capital, I'd already started the drive group and I was doing it part-time and ran into a bit of a rough patch. And the opportunity to be the chief of operations at Shell Service Capital came up and I, I jumped at it. Because I think at the time as an entrepreneur, my mentality was really that the small piece of someone else's pie was bigger than anything I could create for myself. Truthfully, I think I was mentally exhausted. I'd, I'd, I'd lost the ability to, you know, to have the taste of blood, as they say, in your mouth, you know, like a boxer who doesn't want to get hit anymore. So I'm so thankful to my time at Shell because it, it was a recharge for me. I got back to doing what I love to do, but the burden of having the crown on your head wasn't there. And I think that just over those years, I just got the energy back and started to take larger and larger steps while I was there. Uh, my partner at Shell was so kind to give me the rope and the room to to take those steps. And then it, it just felt like, you know, it felt more aligned with what I was supposed to do. There, there was a conversation I had with the founder of Shell Service Capital, who's obviously operating in executive capacity. I'm their head of operations. And it was kind of a passing statement. Uh, but she was, she would say, you know, I know one day you're going to, you're going to try your hand at your own thing again. I hope that you've learned a lot from, from me and from this. And I think it was that sort of commentary that, Hey, you know, everybody sees this, even this person who was my lifeline at a time sees this. So let's, let's give it a go fearlessly and, and, and taking what I'd learned. Being at the tech company was so powerful because it was a, it was a tech startup that existed greatly in the crypto space immediately after. Uh, Bitcoin started to take its first fall in value. 
uh, in that, that sort of 2017 fight. So we were navigating operations of a business that was in an industry that had a great deal of questions. It, it felt like being in crisis mode every day, you know, and uh, navigating those waters, I think, just reinstilled that sense of fearlessness that helped me feel confident about the business that I had been growing uh, and comfortable that we could do it full time, that we could bring on larger staff, that we could take on more aggressive clients and using what I'd learned from all my experiences, but perhaps most most importantly, that tech experience. Uh, that we would we would have the abilities to navigate those those rough waters. It's nice that you had people that were willing to mentor you, even mm -hmm. in even though they knew that you were going to let's say leave one day. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. That that speaks to confidence. You know, I think uh, one of the you know I'm, I'm a huge music fan. I love music, and uh, in 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 you know hip hop, they always say that the the greatest rappers are going to be jay-z and uh little wayne some people say because at the height of his power jay-z wasn't scared of kanye west and at the height of his power little wayne wasn't scared of drake and that speaks to their leadership you know it takes something to be the person who's special in the room tap someone else who's special that or that you see as special and give him a chance because you know two 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 lions in a room can be a danger or it can be a moment for for mentorship you know i, I think back to you know, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs build Apple in a garage. By the time it's a multi-billion dollar company, they're not talking anymore. No, no longer friends. Uh, I think of uh, Eduardo Saver and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, come up with Facebook as college roommates. By the time it's a multi-billion dollar company, not talking anymore. And I, I think that there's something to pull from those stories. That is a danger. But I, I, I mean... Sometimes that danger though is worth is worth the attempt at greatness. So yeah, I feel greatly I feel greatly mentored by all my managers, by all of my all of my experiences, but most importantly, uh, the CEO of Shell Service Capital. I, I I give great credit to my perspectives on leadership and how to manage a business for sure. Who is your ideal client? It's a good question. I think I, I like the feeling of two things. So it probably informs the answer differently. I love the feeling of teaching. So I love a novice client who's fresh into the space, uh, who's just learning about investments, just learning about real estate, and we could bring them on a journey that excites them and opens new doors. But I also love the feeling of a partnership. So someone who's well-seasoned, you know, this is their seventh time around the block, 10th time around the block, because it puts a challenge in our heart to say, okay, how do we show something new to someone who's seen everything? But it's also a client that you can learn from. So I think in that regard, we love clients that are, uh, a mix of, you know, the novice and the expert, uh, because it's probably triggering both of our core values. And where would they be located? You know, the greatest range of our clients, obviously, is going to be North America. That's our hugest clientele. Um, I know that we had a huge growth right around the beginning of, of COVID, coming out of 2019, going into 2020, where people were looking for alternative solutions to the traditional financial structures that they were accustomed to looking for alternative sources of funding. I, I could think back, I had been working with the tech company. We came up in front of the Mars Incubator Fund. Uh, and then COVID lockdowns begin to roll out in 2020. The Mars Incubator Fund sort of goes on pause. You know, they're not applying any capital. And that business was impacted, but that also left a huge uh, windfall of literally thousands of smart, good, interesting startups that were just told no because of a societal issue you know, that COVID had, had come. 
But that didn't mean that smart money couldn't be applied. That didn't mean that companies couldn't grow. I, I say all the time, for every startup that wasn't given an opportunity, you know, Amazon was able to eat up additional market share because they grew. Uh, so if the big guys can grow, the small guy could have got started. So focusing on that time, that North American sort of attitude or appetite for risk that had probably gone down because of how people were relating with, with COVID in those early days, put us in a position to really double down on our North American our North American business book. And, and I think it's a choice that we've loved and it kind of still reflects on our client list to this day. Well, that's been how you can work with those in Canada and the U.S. Yeah, I mean, uh, that cross-border relationship is interesting. There's a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. But it was, you know, Canada's beautiful. I love it here. I love being Canadian. But it's it's small, you know, 40 million people. You can go see more people in the state of New York. <laughs> so kind of there's that energy of, you know, always wanting to expand. So I think, you know, COVID and, and limited travel, we just really focused on our region. It mm -hmm. felt the country we're in, though great, perhaps was too small to scale. Thus, we looked south to try and bolster our position. That's cool. So how do you get in front of your ideal people? You know, we've been blessed that word of mouth is a is, is a great thing. You know, you deliver for it's all about the people you deliver for. Um, I remember there was one time I was working for a real estate agent and we were kind of doing prospecting. And the real estate agent said, don't give anybody your card. And I said, why? He goes, well, how many times do you see a card on the floor? I said, well, a lot, you know, in a parking lot, you see flyers and stuff on the floor all the time. He goes, how many times do you see people uh, lose their phone? I said, well, not as much. People always need their phone. He goes, exactly. So it's more valuable if you put my number in their phone than you put my card in their hand. And uh, that was an interesting perspective because it changes your conversion rate. Traditional cold conversion is 1%. You talk to 10 people or, you know, you talk to 100 people, you get one card out. That's a cold rate. If you're warm, you have higher percentages. You try stopping somebody coming out of the mall, not <laughs> being the agent and giving them the phone number of another person uh, or getting their number, uh, your conversion rate is going to be terrible. You know, you're going to be there going through thousands of people to maybe leave with, with two numbers. But if you can perform for those two people, they will be your strongest reference. And I think that that is the attitude we've used to client application. It's not about the amount of clients we bring in through the door. It's about what did we do for the people that we got through the door. That will then bring more people to the door. So our, our goal on client acquisition is to make sure every lead is a hot lead, which is to say somebody told you about what we did for them, and that's why you're here. So if there's not that word of mouth connection, a lot of times we're not, you know, we're not focused on that because I understand the nature of cold call sales. It's just about performance, and performance produces uh, additional opportunities to perform. So do you have a referral program in place? So nothing, how do I say, nothing nothing official or advertised because it takes away the idea of it being genuine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a little passing comment. Hey, you know, feel free to tell your friends about, you know, how this is going. And sometimes it's even as simple as showing up to their house for dinner. You know, you meet a friend. Because, you know, when you perform well for people, they feel like family. You know, they feel like something more than a client. Being mm -hmm. present for things like that, that's the stuff that people remember. And that, that will help you scale forward. You know, it's, it's as simple as, you know, one guy says, hey, I'm having lunch with my with my with my brother. I know we're supposed to have this meeting. Can you still make it? You know, some people say, look, we're not going to be able to talk business. It's it's a chunk in the middle of my day. I don't have the time. So, no, I'm not coming to the lunch. But, hey, go to the lunch. You never know. The brother maybe knows a cousin, maybe knows a friend. And it, it sticks with somebody. Hey, that, you know, that's a good person. They came to the lunch. Uh, I've always said when growing our, our company, 
that the goal in the beginning and now is not the accumulation of money. It's the accumulation of favor because money is limited, but favors are infinite. You want to be in good favor with everybody we work with. So it's not so much having a referral program. I think it's more just an attitude of generosity and availability. And that's that's been sort of how we've been able to operate, that the every agent, every uh, individual, every CC executive, I would like to think feels comfortable embodying the personality that that I wanted to, which is, hey, you know, we're here for you. You know, we're, we're just trying to do do good work and, you know, kind of nothing nefarious about it. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to put bread on their table. And this is, just happens to be how we do it. And we want to do that with excellence. I like your perspective on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So what big goals are you looking to achieve in the next year or two? Oh, wow. The biggest goal that I have maybe for the next quarter, we have a competition that we're doing. I would love to see uh, one of the businesses out of that competition get some good traction. That would be that would be a joy for me. And uh, there's another venture company in our portfolio where I, you know I'm hoping they have a very strong launch. I think personally, as a as a goal, I have a couple members of my of my executive team, and there are certain goals that they have, and I hope that we as a company are able to perform well enough to make that happen for them. I think uh, my father, when I got into entrepreneurship, he said, "I don't know much, but I do know that your dream is bigger if, in the pursuit of it, other people can get their dreams." Which is to say that any singular focused company could only go so far because it's only as big as you can imagine. But any company that can serve everybody is as big as we can all imagine. And I like that. So I always try and commit to mentality, commit to my heart, commit to my emotions, the goal of my of my closest staff members, and then sort of disseminate that down and then think, okay, how can we as a company get big enough so they can get that? How can we as a business be strong enough so that they can get this? Uh, it, it's not even so much monetarily. Sometimes it's, oh man, I'd love to be in a place where I can take Fridays off. Okay, what are we doing week by week to work to a place where we can have casual Fridays or take Fridays off or, you know, introduce other things? So um, I think over the next years, there's just some personal goals uh, for our, uh, for another guy. It's a, it's a farmhouse. He's, he's a bit of a homestead, a homestead lover. And, um, you know, geographically, you know, you got to be very specific about where you let the guy who loves to farm live. So <laughs> if we could be a big enough company to let him uh, let him go, uh, you know, get a couple of chickens and. Uh, and take care of some animals. I think we've done a good job. Yeah. His only requirement is to have good self or good Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's a non-negotiable. We'll never be a big enough company <laughs> for them to not have good Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so how would that goal yeah. affect your business? Ooh. You know, I think different companies and, you know, there's ways that people operate. And I think it works. You know, Steve Jobs was an idea guy, so he didn't have to be the people guy. People loved him because he you know, came up with 10 new great ideas every every day. I'm not saying I don't have ideas, but I don't know that that's my natural aptitude. I'd like to think that I'm a, I'm more the raw, raw college football coach guy, you know? So when I look at it from that perspective, I think of, you know, those raw, raw coaches, what is the sign of them having a good program? Uh, and then how does that make their team look? So for us to achieve our goals as a business, for me, I think that would mean high retention and high commitment. I, I, I used to think about college football teams where the players would say, you know, we had team only meetings. We were going to have players only practices. 
we were showing up early, leaving late. And that was culture set down from the coach because of, you know, he was able to get his team to believe in something. And that commitment marked the team. I would like to think that us being in a progression of who we want to be both as a business to our clients and to our staff is a company that looks like a, a, a company of high passion and high retention. So are you passionate about what you're doing? And is it effortless for you to commit to doing it? And in the pursuit of those things, how much do I have to get involved? If I don't have to be involved in sort of driving those two culture points, then I think we've done a great job. So I'd like to think that a year from now, uh, our, our company would be marked by having a staff that is in that place and, and a client base that is receiving the benefits of that cultural attitude. That's huge, right? Especially within your employees, too, having that culture. You need buy-in. You know, I, I played football in high school and in college, and that's something coaches used to talk about all the time. Guys, you got to buy-in. You got to buy-in. And I've been on teams where you can see the difference because, you know, some guys are just there to play. They don't care about the team. They want their stats. There's a level of buy-in that you can see, and you see how the team performs. There's other times where it's like, you know, the guy's on the bench. He knows he's never getting in, but he's up. His uniform's on. He's you know, he's clean, and he's clapping. That's That's all team building. You know, it's I think when I was, you know, 15, 16, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as I want to play, you know, so you, you, you train and you, you try and get on the field. But as I look back on it now in hindsight, and I see how these coaches would, would challenge these, these young athletes, team culture is so important, so important. Organizational uh, structure is key. You don't want a disgruntled team. And if, if you do have a disgruntled team, you need them to love somebody. You know, everybody got to love somebody on the team. So I, I think these sort of if, if there's any focus for the for the drive group as a company, it's always cultural. It's always where's our culture? Where's our culture? What culture do we have? Uh, because I think bad culture could kill good companies. So, I, you know, I just want to pr- perhaps alleviate that as a risk for what we're doing here. And everyone needs to feel important, regardless of whether he gets his uniform dirty or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so do you feel like. What's the number one roadblock that yeah. is in the way of you achieving that goal? You know, I was just having this conversation. <laughs> it's funny. I was just having this conversation with uh, uh, a couple of C-suite executives. And we we're just talking about our flow of uh, our flow of assistance, right? And uh, I'd never wanted to feel dis- too disconnected or too esoteric from my life. So I, you know, I'm always big on I don't need, you know, I don't need that many assistants. But it was, um, it's that sort of breakdown of authenticity and, and efficiency. In an attempt to be overly authentic, there are moments where I'm overly inefficient, right? So if I pride myself in saying, hey, if you call me, I'm going to be the one that answers. There comes a time when too many calls are coming in, so now you just get no answer. And that's not efficient. So um, I think balancing that, you know, it's it's fun to see your company grow. It's scary at the same time because it changes the type of leader you have to be. And it's it's hard because in your mind, you're thinking me being this type of leader helped us get here. But now it's for us to go from here to the next place. I have to change my leadership. I have to delegate away certain things that maybe were primary to my assumption of why we were successful. Like if I say, you know, the reason why uh, the drive group was successful in the beginning is because I was on the phone call that closed every single client. The nature of truth is that for the company to grow, that eventually can't be true. It just can't be. I'm only one person. There's other things that are going to have my attention. It can't be true. But what if core to my assumption and belief of why 
you know, I'm even important to the, to the business itself is that I'm there to close. You know, it, those are going to be the adjustments. I think we're in a season right now where I'm probably learning to be a new type of leader, probably learning to be a new type of, uh, new type of partner. And I think it is imperative that I do so efficiently, you know, and, and with authenticity, because I, I can see, you know, it's like you look in the eyes of the people around you and you can see them ready to go take on the next fight. It's like, you know, you're, it's like, uh, it's like, imagine, uh, you're, you're, you're Leonidas and you're, 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 you're racing the 300 and you're telling them, let's rest, you know, let's calm here. Let us regroup. And you look at the army and they say, no, no, we're ready to go. And then you have to confront yourself and think, okay, no, it is I who has to bring myself to feel worthy to lead these great, great individuals, these men and women, because the support staff that we have is fantastic. Uh, and I think it, that is probably calling me to be a better leader. And that, that might be the roadblock that we're, that we're navigating now. For you to, let's say, come to the realization that you need to step into a higher role as the yeah. leader. Is it just all of a sudden you're like, man, what's the bottleneck? Or is there like certain, say, quarterly check-ins that you do mm -hmm. with yourself? Like, how do you get to to that realization? So we're big on, we. I don't like a meeting culture. I don't like meetings. Uh, I always say that meetings for the flow of information, I, I think are a waste of time. If you have something to tell me, text me or email me, and then I'll download the information and we'll go. Meetings are good for culture. They're good for interpersonal connectivity. They're good for, you know, relational integrity. So there's a, there's a, there's a quarterly desire for us to just check in. Hey, what's our touch point? What are we looking to do? What's next? Every quarter we're laying out vision, right? So, hey, our first quarter, we want to do this. Our second quarter, we want to do that. We do that at the start of the year. So when we get to the second quarter, it's now to have the conversation about reaffirming our goal for quarter number two, but now also vision casting quarter number three, so on and so forth. As, as a hierarchy, I try and have the full year mapped out in my mind come January. So there's this four-quarter plan I have, and then we're disseminating it uh, in different ranges depending on who's there, right? So my head of operations probably has an all, 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 uh, all four quarters, so on and so forth. In the reaffirming or in the revisiting of those quarterly targets, I get a good sense on how much I'm seeing growth versus my, 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 my partners. Because let's say quarter one is amazing. And, you know, we come to the next meeting and somebody feels we have more capacity to take a quarter three goal and put it into quarter two. And perhaps I didn't see it or I did see it. That's always an area where as a, as a, as a leader, you want to look and say, okay, have I misunderstood the growth of the business? Have they misunderstood the growth of the business? And if one of us is wrong, how did that miscommunication happen? So I think that those, that's how it happens. It, it is always, a, it's always a self-assessment because, you know, uh, Caesar rules the mob, but the mob must rule Caesar, right? There's never, you know, there's never a set. Any leader is there at the, at the sort of mercy of those who, you know, follow them. Like being a leader is actually being employed. You know, you're, you're, you're an entrepreneurship to work for everybody. It's, it's really funny. You know, you kind of, I remember when I quit my last sort of traditional job, the idea was I should never work for anybody again. And I traded in my one employer for like 150, <laughs> you know, because you owe your clients, you owe your staff, you owe your partners, you owe, it, it's this, it's this, it's this decision of servitude and you cannot serve with arrogance. 
So you always have to be self-assessing or, or you'll, you'll lose them. You'll lose them all. You'll lose your clients. You'll lose your staff. You'll lose, you'll lose this opportunity that these smart, full-fledged people have given you to appear a certain way. Even leadership is an appearance. The qualities of leadership are, are defined, but you could be a leader and be the last on the visual totem pole, but they'll still know you're a leader. They talk about, I know there are some teams where you could think they'd say, you know, they traded the way this player, the team goes down the drain and they say, what happened? They said, well, we lost our leader. And they come back and say, yeah, but that guy was only playing five minutes a game. And then the team comes back and says, yeah, but that guy was doing a lot of work in the locker room that you don't see. So being a leader is a characteristic. Being a leader sort of optically is a is a rite of passage given to you by the team. It's actually not something you can ask for or beg. You, you get it bestowed like like a gracious honor from from your from your fellow soldiers and warriors. So on that note, what's the best advice that you've ever get, been given? Oh, okay. I never forgot this. I was making a movie once with uh, a close friend of mine, and we were premiering the film. This is before even business, but I think the concept applies. We were premiering the film at a at a theater. And the film at the time, I had directed it and I wrote it. And my partner was so gracious that, you know, just not a not an arrogant person at all. But when editing, I think we, we always tried to, it's, hey, it's our movie, it's our movie, it's our movie, it's our movie. And I think we got to this, it wasn't even deliberate, but we got to this a test screening at this theater and it's time to give a speech to the, to the, to the test audience. And uh, I give the speech guys. So happy to have you here. Uh, I thought I said loving words of, of my, of my partner, the movie is screened. Uh, people gave their notes, you know, they left. My mother was there at the end of the event. My mom brings me aside. She was, I like the movie, you know, I'm so proud of what you guys have done. But you said you said the word my movie. I said, what do you mean? I thought I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you said the word my movie. You said it too much because that's bad. And I said, well, what, what do you, you know, I, I really didn't think I said it. And she says, because you have a partner who's not going to correct you, but they're going to hear it. You can't talk like that because it's not your movie. It's our movie. You are just playing a role. It is not your movie. It is our movie. You are just playing a role the greatest piece of advice I ever got because I remember feeling truly heartbroken at that because it was our movie, you know, and the machinations of people who want to uh, perhaps uh, love a certain title, the director, the writer, they want, they want you to break. They want you to enter a facade that disrespects the integrity of what it was when it was just you and the other person in the room. It is our movie. And that is probably the greatest advice uh, ever applied for business because it's our it's our company. I just play a, a, a role. So I, I always harken back to that that film day because that, that was that was a powerful day for me. That would have been humbling to correct too or to address. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. Uh, that was it. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. What's the best advice you've ever given? Wow. Don't kiss on the first date. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> um, the best advice I've ever given, you know what? Uh, stay the course. I remember a friend of mine had made a decision 
uh, wanted to stick with that decision. It was a personal decision. And obviously, as life does, pressures begin to come. Yeah, well, you know, I know I should do it, but what about this? I know I should do it, but what about this? I know I should do it, what about that? And I said, you know, the thing that marks our heroes, both in life and in comic books, is that uh, they do what they need to do regardless of the external pressures. What makes Spider-Man special is he's going into the building to save you no matter what state the building is in. You know, could be burning, could be on fire, could be taking fire, could be flooded. Spider-Man knows there's someone in there. I need to save them. What is heroic, what gives us emotion is that Spider-Man is going into the building regardless. Some people love Batman versus Superman. Some people hate it as a film. One scene that people always talked about is there's a scene when Ben Affleck is running towards the building as it is crumbling and the dust is everywhere. I remember people saying that is heroic. That is life blood, you know, uh, because what marks our heroes, what marks honor are those that stay the course even under pressure. And I think that when I was able to take the Batman reference, the Spider-Man reference, the comic book reference, uh, and apply that to this very real life moment, it was it was advice I both gave but received. It was because I don't know that I knew I was going to say that before I shared it. Um, so only because of my relationship with that, I, I share that. Other than that, I always think it would have to be on other people to to tell me what the best advice I gave them was. So I, I, I'm stuck with an answer that that maybe both applied to me and them, hopefully. So going on that advice, <laughs> how, because I'm just thinking of, because you were on your own and then you went over to the Shell company. Yep. So how did you navigate through that phase? Because you did shift course a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you have any advice for someone that might be in that sort of shifting for a bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one step forward. Two steps back is bad. Two steps back or one step back for two steps forward is good. Again, I did not at the time that I went to Shell have the perspective to know that I would still, you know, be in a position to both grow and nurture the drive group. So I wish I could uh, I wish I could give this answer with enough clairvoyance to say, you know, I took that job because I knew I'd come back and I'd develop the skills to to take the business to the next level. Um, but that's not true. I, I was truly uh, humbled at the opportunity, but heartbroken because I thought that was me calling it. Uh, that I really did think it was me packing it in. Um, so I didn't have the advice top of mind at that time. Uh, but I think no ego, high endurance. No ego means you can't care how it looks. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I, I actually probably learned this more from musicians when I was, you know, when I was making music and actors. They don't care what the day job is. They're an actor. No ego, high endurance. So they're, you know, 22 years old, you know, don't want to maintain a certain type of job because they got to be able to go to auditions. So when everybody's leaving college and getting their account manager job or their, you know, senior executive to the vice president job, these jobs that come with title, that come with status, that sound really great when you're at the hipster bar having a beer. And the actor comes up and says, yeah, I delivered the newspaper, but it's because I'm an actor. And they say it confident, steely-eyed. They may go home and feel very terrible about delivering newspapers and they're, you know, because people are mean, they're going to make jokes. They're going to, well, you, you deliver newspapers? Why are you delivering newspapers, you know? But no ego, high endurance. And that's, I think I learned from them, which is, you know, 
if it's still in your heart to do, you can't care the sacrifice that it takes to do it. There, you know, there was a season of time where I was only taking jobs that didn't require any emotional, uh, any emotional support from me because I knew I needed to save all my emotions for when I was working on the drive group part-time. So in that regard, the job had to be the highest paying but require the least emotions. So then you end up taking jobs that, you know, there's really no growth there. You're kind of spinning your wheels. It's almost the pressure of saying, hey, man, if I don't make my company work, I cannot stay at this job long term. It, it, you know, this is being comfortable being in those positions of pressure and, and having no ego because the optics of it are always going to be a thing. I mean, I know it's different across cultures, but, you know, Jamaicans are lovely with their with their with their verbal jousting. You know, you go to the. You go to the Christmas dinner and people start asking you if you're still at that dead end job. It, it's kind of hard to say, yeah, but I'm, I'm working on my business, you know? So I think, you know, if I, if I apply it to my story, I wish I would have had somebody who could have given me the advice that says, Hey, low ego, high endurance, um, and endure because you owe it to give yourself a shot. You know, you owe it to give yourself a shot. So this is the trade-off. You can't want to look like everybody else while desiring what most other people don't have. You can't want to look for your tribe uh, while acknowledging that no one else around you is an entrepreneur, right? So people often want to fit in, but they always have dreams that are highly unique. Those two feelings are in opposition. I have to get comfortable that my story would not sound, feel, or resonate with any of my surroundings. So I was making friends being dramatically different. It makes you feel very aloof, very afloat, very adrift, but it also made me feel very much on purpose because... And when I say on purpose, I mean on purpose, on 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 target, uh, because if I'm that different, I must be close to where I'm going because no one else wanted to go here, you know? So no one is relating with me anymore. That's fantastic. I must be close, you know? <laughs> uh, so I think that's the energy I, I try and give. I think it's also key to remember to be authentic and true as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and honest, not making up a persona just to fit that area. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's hard. People People succumb to it, you know? Those same actors that I that I that you know I talk about who were delivering the newspaper, uh, I'm you know I'm not gonna lie, a couple of them blink, you know. Sometimes you blink, you flinch. You it's, you don't want to have to keep giving the caveat anymore, so you, you shift. You don't want to have to keep explaining that you're working on the business, so you do go take the job that has the higher pay and the benefits. But you know, if you take the job, you can't work on your thing anymore. I've had that conversations more time probably than I care to count where. You know, I had it last year, a friend of mine, oh, I want to do my own, my own spa. I want to do my own thing, but I got this job opportunity. And I said, okay, well, if you do this, can you do your thing? No, I can't. If I do this other job, I will not be able to grow my personal company. And then it was a measure of, okay, you got to look at this decision like that. Are they paying you enough for you to give it away? Like that, like that scene from uh, Up in the Air with uh, beautifully acted by uh, George Clooney. I think J.K. Simmons is in the scene. I think George Clooney says, you know, how much did they first give you to give up on your dreams? You know, he looks down at a picture of his two kids and he goes, uh, like 21 bucks or something like that, $21 an hour. You know, because he's, he's essentially laying them off. Then he goes, well, look at this as an opportunity to go do that. Um, and I, I think that's just, that's the thing, you know, where it's, you know, when you're a kid, your dreams are what you want more than anything else. I love talking to kids. You know, oh, I want to be a basketball player. I want to be an astronaut. I'm going to be the mayor of Mars. Like, you know, because there's no <laughs> limit. But there's something that just erodes over time. It just chips away at you just a little bit. Just expectation, just outside opinion, public perception, just a little bit. 
And uh, one day you get there and it's, and all of that, all of that, I want to be the mayor of Mars. I want to fly. I want to build a plane that goes invisible is able to be sold for $21 an hour. And um, I think that, you know, for the entrepreneurs who, who can survive and, 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 you know, be under all that pressure and still say, no, uh, there's a special place. Maybe it's not owning the company running. I don't know what it is, but there's a special place of even personal solitude and peace that you got to find. You got to find it has to be there somewhere because that is a hard choice to make. And, you know, kudos to those who can make it. Mm-hmm. How does being self-made affect you in approach to investments? I think, you know, all the great business profiles um, of individuals don't talk a lot about their backstory. So I'm a big backstory guy. So I, you know, um, when I was uh, kind of just starting out, always read, you know, profiles of CEOs and CFOs and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. It was like beautiful documentary work for me, you know. Um, so to that, I always kind of go back with that question that says, you know, I don't think anybody's ever really self-made. There's people that play a part. And then to that end, I don't think that any business works without risk. So you don't want to handle it any differently either. At the end of the day, if you if you believe in your cards, you got to be willing to go all in, whether your dad had the money or you found it on the street. A good guard player capitalizes on the opportunity. So I'd say, you know, whether you got into entrepreneurship because you had a backstop or whether you got into entrepreneurship because you built it with, you know, some can-do attitude and people giving great advice and lovely movie quotes, the key is that when the opportunity presents itself, you just got to be willing to bet your chips because, you know, if you don't bet, you can't win. So I think that um, whether you're self-made, whether you're anything, the goal is we all want to get to a plane of confidence where we're taking the same risks because that's when the playing field gets even and then we can play ball. Other than that, other than that, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about? No, I've, I've loved the conversation. I, I, it was uh, it was great to remember that movie moment. That that was a very you know that that component of um, sort of holistic space. I, I, I'm both humbled and I was you know. M- you know, it's it's interesting that we got that out uh, out of one another. So more than anything, I thank you for for having such a candid conversation with me. Well, thanks for sharing with us and being candid yourself. <laughs> thank you. So, Travel, where can we go to find out more about you and what you do? Absolutely, I am a mystery. No joking. Um, <laughs> uh, we always recommend people go to our website, thedrivegroup.ca, uh, or you can check us out on Instagram at thedrivegroupinc. Uh, that's our handle at the Drive Group Inc. Uh, and you'll keep up to date on our contests, our pitch competitions, companies we're investing in, uh, little video vignettes that we try and do. We have a tremendous communication officer who gives our weekly wrap up, our five and five with Drive. So again, that's at the Drive Group Inc. on Instagram, or you can go to our website at www.thedrivegroup.ca uh, to keep up with the company and what we're doing next. Awesome. Sounds great. So thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you again, Travel, and have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.